Hey, welcome to episode four of the 846 podcast. I'm Handel Vieral, joined by my partner in crime, Kevin Joseph. Hello, hello. How's it going, Kevin? Good, how are you? Good, good. Good. You ready to take on one of the biggest problems of all time, mental health? Let's see. Let's see what we can do with this one. Yeah. And then now we're going to make it even worse because we're going to talk about mental health and the police. All right. Let's do so, it. Yeah. You know, uh, a mental health conversation in Canada has got to begin by talking about uh, the incredible work of organizations like Bell with the Bell Let's Talk movement. Yeah. I say movement because it's now become a part of the landscape. We know it's in January. It's happening every year. And more and more people are speaking out and sharing their experiences, sharing their struggles with mental health. We've had athletes. Um, we've had uh, executives. Everyone just sort of weighing in. And that really does help. Because when you're out there and struggling, you might think it's just you. Mm-hmm. You're on your own. You're in this dark place. Right. And now you suddenly find out that some of your heroes yeah. are also dealing with these struggles while having to go out there and perform at the highest level. Right. So I um, always want to make sure I, I uh, mention what Bell's doing. I think it's great work. Mm-hmm. And uh, now we're going to take that conversation to the challenge that police are facing. Right. Because now we have... Families that are turning to police as a part of the solution. Right. That's that's difficult. It's a big ask. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one that uh, I think the police would probably love to get out of, if I'm <laughs> honest. Yeah. Uh, it isn't going well for them. Mm-hmm. You know, we've now had multiple 911 calls end with death. Right. Um, my family member is struggling. They're in crisis. We need help. Uh, and somehow that turns to the police uh, ending up uh, killing these people. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I don't know what the circumstances are uh, and why the response is necessary to be opening fire. Yeah. But um, it's a tough one. I, f- I feel for police on this one. But of course, I feel for the families because it's not what you expect when you say, help me. I think it starts with the fact that it's always been for us to call 911. You need help with something, you call 911, and you typically call police. Yeah. And, um, and largely, yeah, they're there to respond, but their mental health is not a crime. And police are trained to respond to criminal activity. Yeah, they train to do other things, yeah. but their job, 99% of the time, is to respond to more criminal, criminal emergencies. Right. Um, Or things where people are severely injured or under attack or something like that. And so that's their mentality. And and again, I'm not saying that every cop is is, thinks only one way. Yeah. But it's no different. Let's take, for example, a firefighter just for a quick second. You have a fire. You call a firefighter because their job, although they can do medicals. Their job is to fight fires. That's These guys are actually some of the best at the medical response, which is incredible. Which is which is a whole other conversation. Yeah. Um, and so we got to remember that we're, we're calling police officers as sort of the, the first primary choice. And, and maybe that's part of the conversation is how do we change that so that it's not the first? Um, I know we were talking earlier and I guess we're sort of talking today a little bit about um, Ijaz Chaudhry in Mississauga. Yeah. Um, who, for those that don't understand or don't know this, the situation from what I've heard as well through the media is that the you know older uh, older gentleman who um, is I guess diagnosed as schizophrenic, 
was yep. having was having um, you know a mental a mental health crisis and was in a situation where he was in his home and from what we've heard from I guess the police side or from what's being reported at a point where he had a knife inside of his um, apartment and the police made entry and that's where things turned sour. What's unknown is all the back and forth. I don't know all the whole story yeah. and how long they were there and what they were doing. But at the end of the day, it ended with a death. And I think we got to be very careful when we're calling for something that's a very sensitive life or death situation that is not criminal, regardless of if he had a knife or what was happening with it, because I don't know the facts of that. Um, but it's not a crime. And yeah. so how do, we, how do we get help for people that need help urgently, but it's not criminal? Agree. Mm-hmm. So I have to be honest. I think I have to go back maybe about five years. Okay. Prior to that, I never thought of nine one one as a source of my family members having an episode. But about five years ago, I remember there was a young man that was having an episode, and they called nine one one, and it went south. And I'm just thinking uh, that seemed to set off a trend of people calling 911 to get help when when their family members in crisis. I think we need to fill that gap with a different solution. I'm not sure if that's the right person. I mean if my if my house is not burning down, I'm not going to call for a fire truck. Right. I feel like police are not the right response. Um we've had a few years of this now. I think it's time to like put a, a stop to it because it it isn't working. Um, they might not be the best person for us to be reaching out to because someone's in crisis. The one thing I'll say, and I can speak to this um, personally, because um, there's a member of my family, I won't say immediate family, but a member of my family who um, suffers with some sort of mental health issues. Nothing severe, um, but has had opportunities uh, and situations where um, they felt like living wasn't, an option anymore. We'll put it that way. Um, and to the point where it's caused a lot of concern for family members and you start having this debate about in this situation, do we call the police? Do we get them some help? Is it medication? Do we get them to CAMH or to some of these other places? Yep. And if I can say this in a nutshell, because I know we're going to spend the whole time talking about just this one specific part of it, but also getting mental health help isn't also as easy as I think people think. Um, because as a family member, you might think, Hey, this person needs to be checked into somewhere. And it sounds bad. Check your family member into some mental health place. It sounds like a very negative connotation, but it's really about getting them help. Yes. But even when you call sometimes those mental health places, it's a checklist. Are you doing this? Is this happening? Is this happening? And if you don't meet a certain criteria, it's like, well, they also might have space for them as well. I mean, that's, that's, so that's the bigger, the bigger part of the conversation. It's like, if every person that needed mental health help was to be in some sort of a building or institution, not to say institution in a negative way like that, but there's not enough places for it. Yeah. And I think over the years too, there's a lot more these days, if you think about it, I would say 10 years ago, and maybe it's just my own knowledge, but 10 years ago, 15 years ago, there were things today that we categorize in, within the realm of mental health that we weren't before. Yeah. So it's, so just the, 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 the term mental health has also grown. So probably the amount of calls that police are getting to deal with these types of issues are growing. And if I've called them for this type of an issue before, well, I'm going to call them for this type of issue now, but it yeah. may be a different response that we need. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I don't know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it mm-hmm. once we get off the air, Yeah. which is, I wonder when that call goes in to the communication center, 
do they send specific types of officers or is it just like I need a car in the area of Young and Bloor, right? I really would love to know what happens in that scenario. Or do they automatically say, person in crisis, what's the weapon? He's got a gun. Okay, we need everybody there. Right. He doesn't have a gun. He has no weapon. He's just by himself. Like, how about deciding who goes? Is it just luck of the draw? You're next, you go. Or are they actually saying, this call requires a supervisor? This call requires this? Yeah, and, and if, if they aren't already, I'm, I'd like to hope that those are the parts of the conversations that are happening within yeah. those police forces and in, in the communications section. I, 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 on a basic level, whether it's mental health or not, there are different types of questions that are asked, sure. Yeah. And depending on what is said, it's going to elevate a certain level of response. It's no different if somebody says there's a guy walking around yelling and screaming at people, okay, well, we'll send a car. But if the guy yelling and screaming at people and has a knife in his hand, it's going to get a different level of response. Which if it it's should. a gun in his hand, it's going to get even more level of response. Yeah. So as it should. So I think some of those things, depending on what's being said in that initial call, that helps to sort of set up okay, what's the type of response that we need? Um, and not that you should, I mean, if someone is having a mental health crisis and they have a weapon of some kind, whether they plan to use it on themselves, they plan to use it on somebody else, or they just have it for the sake of having it, the fact that a weapon gets reported, you know is going to bring a certain level of response. And it's going to be yeah. to stop that potential threat from becoming a bigger threat. And maybe that's part of the psyche of those who are responding to that type of call in their head already saying, okay, well, I'm going into a call where this person has a knife. You're, you, again, your back is already up. Yeah. You, you, what is this person going to do? Is it, is it you know, that they're going to fight with us? Is it that they're not? And it's a really tricky thing, but you're right. I think it's something to look into to figure out what, what does that look like? Because I don't want to yeah. speak unfairly about what's happening in police communications if I don't <laughs> have my facts. Yeah, so right. I'm going to yeah. ask about it after yeah. this, but I don't, mm-hmm. I'm actually, I don't know the answer. Right. Now, after Mr. Uh, Chaudhry, uh was killed. Um, there's been protests in the streets. Um, residents in that neighborhood have come out, blocked some intersections, uh, put a spotlight on the issue. And I think those protesters can feel pretty good because I think potentially they impacted another person's life. Because not less than a week later, there's another person in crisis that the same police department responds to. Right. And this time around, it doesn't go south. This time around, they sit on the, on the property and they wait it out. Right. They don't try to storm the residents. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't try to break their way in. They just waited it out right. and it all came to an end. Mm-hmm. So sometimes they say protest doesn't actually affect change. It does sometimes. And in this case, right. they might have saved that other person's life or just made a better result for them because yeah. police were way more patient mm-hmm. on that response. And I think it's a direct correlation it's got to be. To the pressure on There has to be some impact. With the protest. There yeah. has to be some impact. And I think the protest is one thing, but some will say whether it comes to, you know, murders or police murders or uh, people having mental health crises that end up dead, the fact that people are also recording it now, these, these things are being caught on tape, Yeah. Um, which can have both a positive and a negative effect, but I think largely has more of a positive effect than anything else. When you're shining that light and you're, you're able to capture it from a bystander's perspective and it's not you're not relying all on one-sided information to provide you sort of the facts, when you realize, man, people are out there. They're looking at what we're doing. They're seeing how we do our job. We have to be more patient. We have to act a certain way. It's definitely going to make change for, for those on, that are impacted further down the street yeah. or down the road, right? So 
I think the the protests have to keep coming. Yeah, I get a I get a little nervous about the uh, just current generation of filming everything um, <laughs> because I I wonder it, it's got to be much harder to do your job as a police officer because right. you've got to learn quick. Mm-hmm. You just have to learn. Um, I got to pretend that camera is not there because I got a job to do here. Right. Like you got to be focused on the detail right. of this takedown you're trying to actually mm-hmm. uh, enforce here. You're trying to arrest someone and you've got cameras going everywhere and people yelling things at you. Mm-hmm. You know, you can really be in some serious danger if you take time to worry about the cameras that are over here or the people that are yelling over there. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, you're not as focused on that individual. Right. And now he gets your weapon and you're really compromised at that point. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. These cameras can't be a, a negative thing. As much as it, you say, well, it's good that we have cameras. It shines on what's happening. I mean, with the exception of that situation in Minneapolis, I think most times uh, cameras can be of great detriment more than benefit. Oh, well, here's, here's the part that I was saying, too. I know I'm saying that there's a lot of positives. The, the yeah. negatives, people like myself. I don't watch a lot of the news. Right. I do when I need to, but I don't. I don't indulge myself in watching all the. It's not a routine. It's for not you. a routine for me. Right. It used to be, not so much anymore. The problem, though, I find with some of these videos, and maybe it's a connection of how or what at what stage in the game of the incident. Maybe I shouldn't say game, but in in what stage of the incident the, the camera comes out. Yeah. But what I also find, unfortunately, is you get very small snippets. Right. And you don't get. The, the full story. Whereas the police officer that's responding kind of knows the story from the get-go because they got a call, they responded somewhere, they're dealing with it, and whatever the end result is, is the end result. Whereas a lot of times when my camera comes out, it's halfway through or three quarters of the way through. So I see the last little bit yeah. and I go, oh my goodness, heavy-handed response and it's yeah. anarchy. And it's, and it's not, but I'm only showing people. So that's why I think, yes, we need to be careful with Doing that um, with those videos. Yeah. So I've I've never filmed anything. Mm-hmm. I'm not part of that generation of there's a fight, there's a this. Let me take my camera. Out. Yeah. I mean, I'm more inclined to be like I should help. I should get involved. I should yeah. say something. I should phone nine one one. I should do something. Then let me make sure I get it on tape. Right. It's not uh, my go-to either. <laughs> no. It's, <laughs> it's, it's strange clear. when you watch yeah. how many people are filming an incident and no one's helping. Right. So, like, is anyone going to get involved or just keep on taping, right? And now you see the kids are doing it, too. There's a scrap in school, and everyone's taping. No one's trying to stop the fight. Everyone's taping it. Uh, it's just that, that this whole generation of uh, where everyone's a news agency is not helpful sometimes. It's not. It's not helpful because everyone's focused on getting a sensational piece of video that they can share with everybody else. Right. You know, this shooting with Mr. Chaudhry, we've only seen this snippet mm-hmm. where all hell broke loose. Right. There's nothing else. Right. There's no context. To no it. one wants to put anything else out except mm-hmm. this sensational piece of video. Right. What were we supposed to do with that, really? And, and, and I mean, honestly, that, that doesn't, you know, withstand the fact that he's unfortunately been killed. Yeah. I mean, that's still a fact. Um, there's still loved ones, family members, friends of him that are severely impacted because of the situation. Um, but you're right. It, the the little bit of video that I've seen doesn't help me as an ordinary viewer get a full perspective. 
it doesn't mean that if I had a full perspective that I would say, oh, he deserved it, because I would never, ever say that. Yeah. And and so that's let's put that to bed real quick. Yeah, it's not about that at all. But it, it comes down to just allowing people to really have a full context of the picture of what really happened. Um, because it may make you go, it's still unfortunate that he, he, he died, but okay, well, what was their thinking? Because that's the question that everyone always has, though. Yeah. What were the police thinking? What were they thinking? Well, I don't know, because the only thing I see is the end result. Yeah. I don't get to see were they rational in their approach from well before it got to that point. Um, so yeah, just to be just to be clear, it's never going to change my mind in the sense of you know oh well okay well now I see why he died because that's still a very negative impact and the the, the reality is is it's people in mental health crisis need help yeah and whether we see a full video a short video. It always is going to circle, and whether the cop's doing his job the right way or not doing the job the right way, at the end of the day, we're left with the aftermath, which is him and being killed. Yeah. Um, and, and looking at, well, how do we kind of change that narrative so that there isn't so much police interaction in some of these hostile situations? I think somebody with a weapon who has the potential to harm somebody, I think you need police in the area, for sure, yeah. because if things go sideways... You may need to respond, but it's that initial contact. It's that initial trying to calm people down, trying to help them get on the road to recovery is seeing somebody in a uniform who, unfortunately, a lot of people see as a threat. Yeah. Yeah. They're there to serve and protect. We get that. But in a lot of circles, that uniform, that presence, a person with a weapon is also seen as a threat to others, right? So I, th- I think I still want, uh, I'm, I'm evolving on this. I'm, yeah. I'm not firm on this yet. I'm still, right. my thought process is still kind of figuring out where this goes. Uh, I think in a perfect world, I want a police response um, when someone has any weapon, yeah. even if they're in crisis. Right. However, I think it's kind of like when you have a hostage situation, mm-hmm. an expert comes in right. and is going to talk to that person. Mm-hmm. I want an expert that shows up on the scene, right. maybe not in a uniform, in civilian clothing, right. who is fully trained. Uh, they can as much as uh, take out a criminal as they can suit someone and calm them down and have a conversation. I think I want to see that person responding with backup, and they're the one that has to decide where this goes. What would be interesting to know is how many people like that on a police force actually exist. For example- I think there th- might be none. There's, There's- well, I think there are some, but they're, it's very minimal. So, for example, if you think about the amount of police officers you see, how many of them are actually bomb technicians? Right. One in probably, I don't know, I'm making up a number, one in 500 or one in 200. Well, yeah, so right? It's a whole team. It's, 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 a, a, it's a very specialized yeah. unit, yeah. right? Drugs, it's a very specialized unit, right? Hostage situation, very specialized unit. So, just like the task force, not every police officer is trained to be on the task force. So... It comes down to, and when, when they're on deployed, how many of them are driving around on every shift? And how many calls? And th- these are the things that I like to try to dig into is, yeah. at any one moment in time, how many calls for someone in mental health crisis is ongoing, say right now, this minute that we're taping? Yeah. There could be 50 calls out right now for all people who have mental health. Now, could if you've well only be. got two people who are specifically trained in hostage or in right. high stress situations, yeah. you're waiting. You know what I mean? You're waiting until that guy's freed up. Yeah. Um, so it's no different than like the, the emergency task force. There's not five, six different units driving around the streets waiting for one of these things yeah. to happen. But well, let's agree on one you know, thing though. Mm-hmm. What we have now doesn't work. You can't Absolutely. have a scenario where 
police are responding to a 911 call, person in distress, has a weapon, uh, and you're going in with heavy equipment Mm -hmm. and guns and yelling. How are you going to ever bring that person in? That doesn't make any sense. Like, any layman can look at that and say that doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. This is a 911 call for a person in distress. Right. How is yelling going to help? And how is showing up with big guns going to help? It's not going to help. No. You're not de-escalating. You're escalating the situation at that point. Yeah. You know, we had the kid on the streetcar, Sammy, your team. Mm -hmm. He had a knife. The kid is in distress. He didn't take anyone on the streetcar hostage. No one. Right. He didn't actually really fight anyone on the streetcar either. Mm -hmm. They all were able to get off, including the driver, leaving him alone Mm -hmm. on the streetcar. Yeah. Why is he dead? Yeah, that that that's a why why is he dead? That one is is well, obviously we know that one's been through through the courts and stuff like that. But that shouldn't happen. It you're right. It's it's about patience. The person, if they're if they're in a contained area, they're not going anywhere. You really have the whole place surrounded. If it, it would be, he's a danger to himself. He's a danger to himself. Short of him attempting to come off the streetcar and go after an officer or something like that, we're talking a little bit of a different circumstance. But yeah. if you're on the streetcar by yourself, not appearing to pose a danger to anybody except except yourself, which at the same time we have to recognize. You don't want him to hurt himself either, but that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. Why do you need to be going in that heavy? Why does he need to be shot? Why does he need to be tased? Short of we're getting sick and tired of waiting around for this yeah. guy to kind of calm down, so we need to kind of end this. Yeah. You know, uh, which is a whole other whole other thing. Um, so yeah, I, I think showing up in such heavy uniform is going to be can be detrimental to the situation, but. The conversation really becomes then what what are the options? And again, I'm I'm guessing just as much as anybody else, but I want to maybe kind of turn the conversation to so what do we think could be done? What are the right. what are the, the possible rational so, so for responses? Me, yeah. I think it's pretty clear. That was a very I'm sure that was a very um I don't know. Let's say that's like a, a 10 bell call when you hear right. there's a guy in a streetcar just outside downtown Toronto. With a knife and there's passengers on there. That's gonna have everyone who has a squad car turning around to get there. Right. But once they get there and they're faced with, okay, everyone's off the streetcar, it's just him and us. I feel at that point, everyone takes a step back. Yep. And a more experienced person now steps forward as a person running this operation here. Right. I think that's the first thing I, that they need to change. Like, mm-hmm. forget all this defunding the police. It's really just one basic thing that has to change. Mm-hmm. When you have calls like this, there needs to be a team that's trained to respond to it. Right. And they take the control of the situation. Mm-hmm. Not the officers on the ground. They're not in control. It's this person or people that show up at the scene and say, hey, I'm here now. I got this. Right. I'll let you guys know if I need you. Yeah. But for now, it's me and this person. I'm going to work it out with them. Yeah, and I mean, I think it sounds it sounds good. I, I think that's the way that you could respond. But here's the, here's the thing. I mean, sometimes we look at this in the movies, and I'm not rejecting what you're saying. We look at these things in the movies, and it's the one hostage negotiator, and everyone's like 30 yards back. And it, it, yeah, that's the movies. Mm-hmm. But I, I think we need to be a little bit realistic with sort of what happens in real life. But having said that, again, I spoke about in one of our previous podcasts that. 
Um, like I've worked in security for a long time, right? Before I'm in the position I'm in now. And the one thing I've always trained people to do, and I was trained to do myself, is like when you first respond, that's it's just like you've gotten news, you gotta go respond. You gotta figure out what's going on. The minute you kind of understand what's going on, it's like, okay, cool. Take you take a few steps back or just kind of be off in the shadows. You're still quick enough to respond if things go the opposite way. But it's 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 about powering numbers. Sometimes you see all these units show up and it's all these people around. And half the time you see, well, you have three people responding to the incident. You got three or four others who are just standing there. Yeah. But you're still a uniform presence. You're still a presence that can be an offset to the individual you're dealing with, right? So it's learning how to, yes, when we first respond, how do we take a rapid assessment of what's happening and then scale back our approach so that, yes, we'll leave with... We're leaving the individual who's in this crisis facing one, maybe two people that are that they're dealing with rather than having a whole gang of people just sort of standing around. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so that's that. And I, I'm not saying that the police departments aren't trained that way. I don't know this for a fact. Again, as I said before, I'm not a cop, so I can't speak 100% to what it is. But what, you, what we do tend to do, which I think we're doing now, is you look at what you can see. And what you can see sometimes tells you what seems to be the training. And the people are just standing around yeah. doing nothing or just being kind of in the way. We looked at the last the last case. You, know, you got 10 officers dealing with a person in, a, in, a, in an apartment. It's a lot of officers to be in one apartment with one yeah. person. Again, from the outside looking in, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, all I'm calling for is specialized people to respond. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go on a limb and say that I believe that that doesn't exist right now. Okay. I, I think it's just whoever is up next is responding, who's closest to the scene. Okay, I'll go there. Right. That that can't be the right thing to do. I, I mean, think, they can still mm-hmm. go there because they're closest. Right. But they can't, they're not the right people mm-hmm. to go in and handle this. Like, right. I just don't see – we need police to be highly trained. I just don't see a police officer responding to Walmart calling them and saying, hey, we have a shoplifter. Can you send somebody? Mm-hmm. That can't be the same guy that's responding to a wellness check or some major bank heist with heavy weapons. Right. That can't be the same person. That has to be three different people. Right. But Unfortunately, it, it just can't that, be but that's the same what person, it is right, right now. Right. I think, I think generally speaking, it is that. It's a call comes in, depending on what it is, you're going to get the same constable or sergeant or whoever it is. That's going to respond to that call. Well, that's pretty interesting. That guy, because that right. guy, if 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 that guy has never even unholstered his weapon once before, mm-hmm. because all he's dealing with is Walmart and who else is ever is getting yeah. stuff stolen, he's not ready to deal with this. Right. He is. Yeah. Right. It and and this is this is the thing with policing though. It is such a very diverse area. That's what I'm saying. I talked about. Par- I'm talking about firefighters. Firefighters, yeah, they'll, they'll respond to medicals. They do. I mean, they're usually the first ones, and they're very, they're very good at medical. I know that for a fact. Yeah. I hate producing but, firefighters, but, 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 but it's they, just the truth. They're but really they, that good. But they have a very specific skill set. Yeah. Fighting fires. And I'm, I'm probably- And saving lives. And saving lives, right? But fighting, yeah. fighting is saving lives. You look at paramedics. They got a very specific job. They're not there to fight fires. They can't fight fires. Yeah. And they don't have guns, so they can't police. Then you have police, which is sometimes really a catch-all. Whether it's traffic, it's a guy stealing a bike, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's the Walmart theft we're talking about, or it's someone, it's a mass shooting, or it's a person with mental, they're a catch-all. And unfortunately, that's what 
we're seeing, I guess, maybe the fruit of is that you have them responding to every type of situation under the sun. And it's like being a jack of all trade and a master of none. Right. And I don't say that to be disrespectful whatsoever. It's just a fact. Your job is to respond to anything that kind of fits the mold and you go to it and right. kind of figure it out when we get there. Whereas you know, if, it's a, if it's a mass shooting, people will call 911. You're typically going to have paramedic, uh, like paramedics and, and firefighters who are going to respond, but they're not the primary responder in that case. It's the police. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit different for the police. They, they're, they're fortunately and unfortunately having to respond to everything under the sun. Um, and even if it's a medical, they get called. Yeah. But that's where you have paramedics and firefighters too that can respond. But they're the ones who do, who goes to everything and not to none. Whereas paramedics go, okay, well, if it's not a medical emergency, you don't need me. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's that's the that's the tricky thing. And and how do we change that? That's, that's as good as anybody's guess as far as I'm yeah. concerned. Yeah. Well, I think we need we definitely need to start with having a specialized team that responds to this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like it to actually stay police. Now I've had more time to think about it. Right. I think it still is a police call. Just police that are specifically trained to handle these really difficult situations. Right. Um, we'll probably get better outcomes if that's who's responding. Um, I don't think you can really ask a social worker to respond to something like this. It just would be beyond the realm of what they can handle. So it probably has to be police, just maybe a special unit that knows how to deal with these situations and are on call in every in every uh, territory. Right. Because um, right now we're just dealing with Toronto, Peel, GTA stuff, but it has to be across Canada. Right. Almost has to be like a federal initiative to get this fixed. Yeah. It's got to. It's got to be, and hopefully something will change. Something yeah. will come. And and as we started off saying, is that all these different situations that are on video that are, are people are protesting about or, or demonstrating about continues to raise the light. And I mean, I've seen somewhere, I, don't, I haven't fact-checked this, so don't quote me on this one, yeah. but I'd seen something about um, our, our mayor, uh, Tory, um, possibly having the discussion or talking about coming up with specialized teams. Now, it might seem like it's more non-police specialized teams, but specialized teams regardless, somehow, yeah. some way, there has to be a conversation about it. And if it's a, if it's a sole independent, it's not police. If it's strictly police, if it's a hybrid approach, but there has to be the conversation about how do we change this so that we end up with less dead people from a, a mental health crisis. It's just not it's, yeah. not, it's not appropriate. Again, I'm not a cop. I'm not there in the heat of the moment. Yeah, I'm not the one making the split decisions. It's not my life on the line. So let's put that out there as For well. Sure. But there's got to be a better way. And I think that's, the basic way of looking at it. There's got to be a better way. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I wanted to uh, talk about uh, something. I want to share a personal story. Um, on the last episode, we talked about my, my situation going down to the U.S. and encountering uh, a racist door person, right. maybe potentially a restaurant owner who, for all right. I know. But um, I, I want to share a story that is as personal as it comes, but shows that in this great city of Toronto we live in, there are a lot of good people out there. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I've never said this before out loud. So uh, you got some good stuff for us today. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a it's a very personal, very emotional story, mm-hmm. and I and I always meant to do something about it, and I, and I haven't until this moment. So this is coming out of left field. Okay, um, we just talked so much about race and policing. And bad experiences that I don't want to leave this out. Because mm-hmm. I've had a, a very positive experience at the most important time in my life. 
So I've only had to call 911 once. And I had to call 911 uh, for my mom. Okay. And I called 911, and the operators are very professional. They know their job well. And they give you instructions and what to do, um, how to perform CPR, um, which I already have my training, but it does help to have a person telling you what to do. Yeah. And letting you know that, you know, help is going to be here soon. And lo and behold, help seemed to come really fast. I'm not even sure what the exact timing was, but they came fast. And the firemen were the first ones to show up, um, followed by the ambulance personnel, then the police. Um, now, my mom is a person of color, and we talk so much about race on this show. Mm-hmm. Everyone responding to the call was a uh, white person, everyone. Uh, the firemen treated my mom like it was their mom. They were doing their job like it was their mom that they were working on. Uh, With efficiency, with care, with kindness, uh, all the efforts possible. Mm -hmm. Same when the paramedics got in, same thing. Uh, The way they were talking to each other, the way they were responding and taking care of everything, Again, they were acting like they were working on their mom. Mm-hmm. It didn't seem uh, like what I have seen in my life. I've worked in stadiums. I've mm-hmm. seen the response of medical teams. Mm-hmm. It can be so uh, slap shot and just mm-hmm. like it looks so rushed. The, these guys were and girls were some of the most professional we've ever seen. They were concerned for me. Mm-hmm. They were concerned for my mom. They did everything they possibly could. And then the last guys on the scene, the police, equally as helpful mm-hmm. in trying to make sure that I was going to get through this. Right. So I know this might seem like we talk a lot about race and police and all this stuff that's happening. But we're talking about, uh, for me, we're talking about other people's experiences. Right. I've had some great experiences with police in Toronto. Mm-hmm. None greater than that. To see these men and women do the best they can. Mm-hmm as if it were their family member, uh, speaks volumes for the kind of professionals that we have in Toronto. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to, I, don't, I never want this podcast to become just random attacks on police because something happens, mm-hmm. which I think we've proven to people right. um, with the Rashad Brooks mm-hmm. shooting that we both called justified. Right. I mean, we have to look at each case one by one. There are a lot of good people out there doing great things in the city yeah. that don't see color, that mm-hmm. don't see anything. They just know they have a responsibility and a job to do, right. and they do it. Mm-hmm. So those men and women that night um, couldn't have been any better. Mm-hmm. They did everything they could possibly do, and I'm so grateful for it. Mm-hmm. And also just the way they did their job right. couldn't be any better. Yeah. So it's uh, it's one of those moments in your life when you stop and you think, uh, I'm really glad that I live here. Right in Toronto, in Canada. Um, and I'm really grateful for those men and women that have to respond to so many of these calls every day. But for some reason, they always have the ability to get up for another day of work right. uh, and show up and bring that level of commitment right. and compassion. Mm-hmm. The compassion was unreal. Yeah. Just, uh, just, just I, I don't even know what to say anymore, but what that experience was like. And for me, I'm in the moment because I'm dealing with everything. Yeah. Uh, but them recognizing that they also need to take care of me is also remarkable. Right. So I, I never want us to get off track and not always be truthful 
right. and unbiased and just calling it as we see it. Because the end goal, uh, I think for this podcast, when we started, we said we only had one goal. Mm-hmm. It was to shine a light on racism and prejudice right. um, so that no one feels comfortable right. with this type of behavior. Absolutely. That more and more people become uh, anti-racist mm-hmm. and, and fight a good fight for a good reason. Mm-hmm. But I am grateful for the opportunities that I have right. and for living in this city. And so thankful to the men and women every day who go out and protect us in the city. Mm-hmm. Because without them, I wouldn't feel as safe as I do in downtown Toronto right. coming home at 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. It is because of them that I feel that safe. Yeah. It's just the truth, right? They're the reasons why I feel that safe. 100%. And I, I want to I echo what you said. And when we, I think when we do these types of podcasts where we're trying to shine the light on things like racism and we talk about a lot of these high-profile cases that are, whether they're local or they're, they're in the U.S. or in some other part of the world, some people may take a look at it and go, okay, it's, it's police bashing and, it, and it's, it's just all about the negative side. And my hope is, is that people are recognizing that we're, we're really doing our hardest to be objective. Yeah. That's the one thing for me, and I've said this even in the last podcast, I'm a person that I understand how the world works. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of bad people out there, but there's a lot of amazing people out there. And there's a lot of amazing people of every skin color. Yeah. And as, as you know, we've been talking about this through our podcast. I've worked in the security industry for over 20 years. So... If you think that I'm sitting here police bashing, I'd be a fool. Yeah. The amount of police officers that I know personally, the amount of police officers, firefighters, paramedics that I've had to call on for assistance dealing with situations myself or you know anything like that, the amount that have shown up and have done their job professionally without issue, 100% by the book, is far outstretches. And I don't want to make, I don't want to minimize the negative ones either. Yeah. But in comparison, I'm telling you, 90% of every interaction, everything I've ever seen has been on point, Yeah. right? But unfortunately for us, it's that small 10%, if you will, that actually causes the bigger issues. For sure. Right? And so when the bigger issues happen, we spend more time talking about those bigger issues because it's easy to forget sometimes, well, that's, that's a good thing. So you're supposed to do that. You did your job. So why am I going to talk about it? But we should talk about it. And I think that's what we try to do on this podcast is to not just raise the issues that need to be raised, but also don't be un, you know be unfair and make it seem like everything is negative. The amount of police officers, firefighters, paramedics that I've dealt with over the course of my career far outweighs the positives. It's the, it's the positive far away the negatives is what I'm saying. Yeah. And so you're right. And I've got stories upon stories, but I'm not going to take away from your story because I can. That's a, it's a really amazing story. And like you said, when it's personal. This is what I'm talking about. It's easy for us to talk about someone else's situation and critique it. But when it's personal, you, people can't take away the way you feel from something. You know what I yeah. mean? So yeah, we want to shed some light on the on the pauses. And it's great. It's a great story. And it's obviously it's the first time I've heard it. And you said you yeah. haven't really shared it before. Um, but it's it's amazing to hear that. So yes, we're taking the time to recognize the great work that is out there. And I'll tell you, policing, firefighting, paramedics. Working in security, the things that I've seen, I can only imagine what they've seen yeah. and what they deal with. And to your point, for them to still get up every single day and be back on the front lines dealing with the things I know they deal with is incredible and it has to be applauded. Yeah, I'd love to uh, I'd love to engage some people who are carrying this defund the police campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I heard some things said yesterday that kind of opened my eyes a bit. People are saying, you know, oh, cut their budget by half and stuff like that. Right? <laughs> I'd, I'd love to ask these people, hey, yeah. when you have a problem, who are you going to call? 911, of course. You're going to call your next door neighbor, hey, can you come help me? Right. You're going to call 911. <laughs> so I'm not sure how we are getting so way off track to all these ideas of, I don't know what they think is going to happen here. Abolish the police. Come on, people. Mm. Get real. Abolish the police. I go back to what I was saying um, in some of our previous podcasts. It's people deal with them. We respond with emotion. And emotionally, without knowing all the facts and all the background and the backstory, emotionally, if you see this incident happens, person is dead, you go, that's wrong. And now there's injustice and we need to fight. And yeah. it's, and yes, we need to fight for injustice, but like, we got to be smart about it. You have to be smart about it. You know what I mean? You can't just be irrational with our approach to things. Yeah. You have to take the emotion out of it, unfortunately, in order to, to come up with realistic, like you said, to fund the police, flash your budget in half. Yeah. How, how realistic is that? That's, I mean, come on. That's not realistic at all. That doesn't mean we don't need police reform in some way, shape, or form. Yes, we do. But, but that's not it. Cutting the budget in half, like, come on, give your head a shake. That's just, it's yeah. not going to work. Like, yeah. But that's an emotional, we're, we're, an emotional we're already, response. We already don't have too much police. Right. Right. We might have too little. Yeah. We don't have too much. So if you cut the budget by half, what are we going to have left? Come on. It's just, yeah, it's, it's not realistic so, at all. Yeah. You got to take the emotion out of it. Yeah. Be realistic. Find ways to, to, you know, redistribute funds, do things like that, yeah. find other programs you can spend the money on and all these other things. Great conversation. We'll talk about it all day. Yeah. But if you just start being emotional saying, get rid of the police or cut it in yeah, half and get rid of sense. them. It's a non-starter. It's, it's a non-starter. non-starter. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. All right. Looks like we're out of time already uh, for episode <laughs> How four. How time flies, yeah. Um, but I think uh, I'm going to look into this uh, question of when you call 911 and there's a person in crisis, is a specialist sent out or not? I'm mm-hmm. going to find out the answer to that question. Um, I'm afraid it's going to be no, but maybe I'm wrong. It's going to be yes, which will be good. Uh, But if it's yes, then I start wondering, hey, if a specialist is going out, why is this still happening? So hopefully it's it's no, and they're going to find people and do the right thing here. And then uh, we'll follow up on these conversations, see where they all go, see what happens. I'm going to reach out to you just before you say that. I'm going to reach out. I have a friend. I'm not going to name names because I want everyone to (laughs) remain anonymous. But I actually, I, I know someone quite well um, who actually is a 911 dispatcher. Good. Actually, I know two people that are 911 dispatchers. Yeah. So I, I'm going to see if I can engage that conversation with them. Yeah, uh, see what that answer is. Completely off the record. I'm not yeah. naming names or anything like that. But just to get insight, because again, I, I believe strongly, and let's find out from the inside what really is happening, right? And how we can maybe affect change. So I'll reach out to those people. For so sure. So we can find out. All right, Kevin, I'll let you wrap it up. Uh, let us know how we can uh, get more of this conversation. You know, as as always... You got to link, you got to like the videos, share it, subscribe, but more importantly, have your say in the conversation. In the comments below, we always ask you to engage us. We thrive off your comments and your feedback. So please feel free to, in the comments below, let us know how you're feeling about it. Do you think that police should be responding to these types of calls? Is, do you have another, uh, another way that you think that these could be handled? But join us next time on the 846 podcast. And before we get there, let us know what you think about this video. Like I said, if you like it, please share it. It's important to get the conversation going by sharing this information. So until next time, we'll see you later.